This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. It's really hard to believe, folks, that it's the middle of July already. It's uh, crazy to think how fast the summer goes every year. We often say the winter goes by really slowly, but the summer just seems to go by like triple speed. We're already... Uh, a little bit a little bit less than halfway through the summer already so that's pretty okay we got the hottest month of the year of course august but it will get interesting as the summer goes as we're all opening up in ontario and across canada and be safe as you open up most of the ontario province is in stage three now so you can enjoy patios indoors all that type of thing and of course right now you're tuned into the neutral zone i am your host Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I am doing well, Brock. It is Friday. We get to do the show. I have a nice, clean, new haircut and a little beard trim. So life is good. Yes, actually. Actually, let me bring in Claire first before I pull this out. Claire, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Yeah, I've seen a couple of my friends uh, posting pictures today of the fresh new haircuts and beard trims. So everyone's feeling a little lighter this Friday, I believe. Yeah, we uh, we did our pre-show meeting around the noon hour today. And the first thing Claire said to Josh as we connected up was, hey, Josh, can you hear better? And he said, <laughs> maybe, maybe I can. I, I, I think it helps. I think it helps. There's, yeah. there's no hair over my ears now. Yeah. Otherwise, did you have to turn up the volume a little bit uh, to hear things for the last few years? Well, let's just say that between glasses, mask and hair, I was running out of space behind my ears. (laughs) There you go. So you have uh, some freedom now to uh, absolutely to to deal with space. So that's always good. I'm lucky enough to have my own uh, personal barber who comes in and assists me. So I've just had the buzz cut for the last year and a half, close to two years now, and I'm quite happy about it. Before we get into the headlines, because I don't think this is something we're going to touch on later on today, the Blue Jays are still waiting for approval or not approval from the government as to whether they can come home back to Toronto for the July 30th homestand. We're supposed to hear a decision made by the end of the day. As I look at the time, it's 4.03 Eastern time, and there's been nothing that's come across my uh, wire. What do you guys think about this potential homestand coming back to Toronto? Are we ready for this? Start with you, Claire. Uh, Certainly the fans are, I'm sure, especially uh, with everyone getting uh, vaccinated at a good rate now here in Ontario and we are making the right steps to be opening back up. And um, I think at the end of the day, they might be doing just that and taking as much time as they need to make the right decision, uh, both for the fans and and the athletes themselves. So 
Um, I'm hoping that I can go to a baseball baseball game here in the next uh, couple of weeks. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, everyone's just trying to stay safe. Yeah, I've seen something that was tweeted out earlier today saying that things are trending in the right direction for this to happen. And I think that's a great thing. Um, I do think some of the government ministries involved are pushing back at the Blue Jays a little bit, saying you'll get your approval if you're patient, but your self-imposed deadline of today at five o'clock or whatever it is, is not going to happen. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I think Ontarians have done what is needed in order for this to happen. I think the biggest stumbling block could be actually the U.S. teams, because when you think about it, the U.S. has been open for a lot longer than we have in a lot of places. And so if you've got American players coming up here and saying, well, back home, I can do all of these things. And you're telling me here, I can't, I don't like this. That that could be a stumbling block, but I think we're trending in the right direction. And I'm looking forward to at least one baseball game at some point soon. All right. With that, let's get into our headlines for this week. Italy edged out England in the Euro cup final. Tom Rivers has more. Having traded a goal each over 90 grueling minutes and then 30 minutes of extra time tacked on, it all came down to the pain of penalties. In the end, Italy took the shootout 3-2, capture Euro 2020. It's a cruel way to end. To the victors, Italy, the glory under the backdrop of this pandemic-affected tournament. To the losers, England, days to digest the loss. Their young team and the World Cup comes quickly next year. Chance to redeem this night at Wembley. Tom Rivers, ABC News, London. Congratulations to the Italian team. If you watched that tournament, you know that they were a stellar side from beginning to end. So they certainly deserved the win. Uh, on the English side, which I happen to support, we're, we're all very disappointed. But... I think we're more disappointed in some of the fan reaction, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. led the American League to a victory at the 2021 MLB All-Star Game. He became the youngest player ever to win the most valuable player at the All-Star Game. Man, did he ever have a really great game. He hit a bomb of a home run to uh, put them out in front and... Even all the rest of the Blue Jays had a really good, respectable uh, all-star game. And congratulations to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the rest of the Blue Jays. We are now seeing the fruits of our young labor here in Toronto. Canada's under-19 Canadian basketball team captured bronze at the World Championship recently with a 101-92 victory over Serbia. Novak Djokovic is now tied with Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal at 20 Grand Slam victories, the most since Pat Simmons, who has 14. Congratulations to Djokovic. Sorry, Brock. Congratulations, Novak. That is a huge accomplishment, and you are now among some of the titans of men's tennis. We will check in on our Twitter polls a little later on in the program. Coming up next, we're going to chat with Aaron Young, who is 
one of the veterans of the women's national wheelchair basketball program. We'll have a conversation with her next right here on The Neutral Zone. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. We're going to have Aaron Young joining us in a minute. Aaron Young comes from Alberta and is part of the women's national team for wheelchair basketball. She is a 4.5 category in classification. And the last time we spoke to her, she was in... Germany, and this time we're going to be discussing her journey and where her team is at, headed to the Paralympic Games in just over a month. Erin, I guess we should start with, are we talking to you in Canada or Germany this time around? And welcome back to the program. Hi, uh, I'm in Canada. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good to hear. Let's start by talking about the remainder of your time in Germany. How did that go? It was really good. Um, we ended up finishing fifth in the league uh, out of, I think, 10 or 12 teams. So we did pretty all right for a lot of rookies on the team. And yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I'm going back there next season. And, you know, hopefully our team continues to improve and be great. And we can maybe move up in rankings next season. Last week on our show, we featured wheelchair basketball, and you classify as 4.5 in wheelchair basketball. Can you talk a little bit about what you have to go through during the classification process and what ultimately concludes you to be a 4.5? Okay, so it's a pretty big process to become classed into wheelchair basketball. Um, For me, it was a lot of... um, x-ray and MRI documents that needed to be sent through, um, including like details of what they did to my um, knees in surgery. And then a ton of different um, letters, um, coach like recommendations and just um, specifically saying like why I can't play in like almost like a little sad story with it. And then obviously um, your doctor notes, Um, They really keep in touch with your surgeons and they kind of go through that whole entire process. And for me to be classed in as a four or five, I had a, um, I had two knee injuries that classed me in and I'm a lot of bone on bone contact and it's rubbing a ton. So it's kind of wearing away. And that's what initially got me classed in as a four or five. And that means I have a minimal disability. So I look normal, but I can't obviously like go on a run. I can't do that anymore. It's too painful and like walking pretty far is painful, but yeah, I have full function. Um, You'll see me being able to twist my torso up and down and side to side on court and I can really use my abs. Um, But yeah, that's what classed me in and I'm very happy to be classed in. (laughs) That sounds like quite the process indeed. Now, 
After we spoke to you last time, British Wheelchair Basketball announced that they would be sort of at the forefront of a professional wheelchair basketball league. I'm wondering what that means for you personally and what you think it means for the sport as a whole. Actually, when they announced that, I had a lot of girls um, from the international side message me or text me saying like, oh, are you going to put your name in? I think it would be a great opportunity for you to go and like show who Canada is and just like represent, you know, female athletes and female basketball players across the world. And I was so honored to get those messages. And I'm really looking forward to the startup of um, their professional wheelchair basketball league. But um, for sport as a whole, I just, I'm just so happy. I think the sport has grown so much for even just the short amount of time I have been in it. And I'm very excited to see where their league goes and how well they do. Um, obviously, it's a huge startup process, and I would not want to be involved with that. But <laughs> I'm really excited um, to see girls go in and be able to crush it there. And like, hopefully I will get the chance to do that myself. And it's, I'm just really honored to be a part of wheelchair basketball in general. And then to see that grow elsewhere in the world, it just makes me really proud of the sports and uh, really proud of Great Britain for starting that off. So as a follow-up then, you've kind of touched on it, but you are planning to get involved in the league, it sounds like? Eventually, I would like, like, I would love to be a part of that program and just kind of see it grow, but it would just obviously depend on the national team and then the German league I'm in. So if I could somehow make it work, I am definitely going. <laughs> We're joined by Erin Young, who is a member of the Canadian Women's wheelchair basketball program and of course you're listening to the neutral zone and i'm joined by josh watson and claire buchanan and i'm your host brock richardson with the paralympic games just over a month away can you give us an idea of what your training looks like as a whole and um alongside both the men's program as well yeah so right now we are training at the toronto pan am sports center tpask in scarborough and it's been really great. TPASC has been very accommodating for us during these pandemic times. So um, we train alongside our men. So pretty much we're side by side just on different courts. Um, but it's been a very exhausting summer so far. We've been training roughly five to seven hours a day, um, whether it's our on-court sessions, our strength program, we have cardio sessions involved. We have just so much stuff going on right now. And it's obviously really good since we've been away from each other for a year or so. Um, but yeah, it's been really exhausting, but I would not want to be doing it with any other group of girls. Like we have such an awesome group. It's exciting to go in every single day and work your butt off. So obviously the Paralympic games come after the Olympics. I'm curious if you'll be watching the the games, the Olympic games, that is, and perhaps using it as a way to kind of know what to expect. And if so, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I will definitely be watching um, the games, obviously, to kind of see where I need to put my mind and like what's going on there, but obviously to even support the 
um, Canadians over there. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of going to just keep my eye on it and see how it is. But I know that we'll be in like communications with just the Canadian Olympic team in general. So they can kind of give us maybe a two cents on what to expect, especially in the village or, you know, the driving to the venues, like kind of how that all goes around. So I'll definitely be watching, but um, I, I just expect to go out there and I, you know, I've played against Japan. I've been in Japan so many times that I have so much respect for them doing this. And I know they are going to keep us in a very safe area and safe zone. So I know I will feel safe there, um, even though I'm not there yet. And yeah, I mean, we're there to obviously enjoy the experience, but our number one reason to be there is to potentially medal. So that's my main focus and what I expect to do and eye on the prize kind of thing. With your experience from Rio and uh, the spectatorship that was there uh, during your games and tournaments, uh, how are you guys preparing for having no spectators in the stands uh, come competition time? Oh, man. <laughs> It'll be really different. Um, obviously, being in Rio, we had fourteen to 20,000 people in the stands, and it was, it was a wild experience, and I loved every moment of it. But during the pandemic, I just, you know, it really sucks. I know there's some athletes that really kind of take that energy from the crowd, but I think as with our Canadian team, we're just kind of all going to be leaning on each other for support and that energy and whatever else needs to be brought to the table. So as much as it really sucks not having fans there, I know my team and my staff will have my back the whole time. And I just know that the, uh, big Canadian family over here will be uh, watching and cheering us on. So again, um, it sucks, but I on the prize kind of deal. <laughs> That's probably a very good way of looking at things. If we circle back to the professional league in England for just a moment, uh, you do have experience, as we've said, playing in Germany. Uh, I'm curious, based on what you know or have heard, what the differences might be between the league you're in and this women's league that's going to be created? Um, as much as I know right now, um, I'm obviously not fully knowledgeable on the whole program just yet, but it's going to be a little bit different as in, um, in Germany, it's mixed teams. So men and women are on the same team and in the great Britain, uh, professional league, it'll just be strictly women, which is a really big deal. Cause we've never had a league like that before. And so that's, that's a major difference. And I also know that, uh, the female athletes that do go to the professional league in great Britain can also further their education is what I've heard and read. So that's, very exciting to me and I think that's a really great idea and I'm just yeah very excited to see how they kind of go about it but those are the two big differences that I know because in Germany you don't you can go to school but it would just be on your own time but yeah Aaron I'm interested to follow up too on your classification in the sense of at what point does your classification become 
permanent? Like how often do you have to go in to be tested to determine whether you're a 4.5 or something else before they say, okay, we've put Erin through enough. She's sent x-rays, et cetera. We know she's a 4.5. So when I first made the team and I had to go through this whole process, um, it was a lot. I'm just glad that I didn't really have to be a part of it too much. Once I sent the papers through, it was out of my hands. But um, yeah, so once you start to submit your classification stuff, you kind of need to be shown through the world. So you have to go to an international competition where classifiers can come and watch you um, play in practice and play in a game. And then that's kind of when they're like, they decide, okay, yeah, she is a 4-5 or 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 not. Right. And, uh, so that's how it initially happens. And then, um, usually once the classifiers like fully approve it, you don't really have to go through any more of that process. But, um, recently, obviously with Tokyo being in place, um, the international Paralympic committee decided to actually go through the whole classification process again. And it was very stressful because, it's close to Tokyo. You just don't really know what was going on. And so they redid the whole entire process and they're actually doing that for every classification in wheelchair basketball. And so I had to, again, resubmit everything and like show just the same stuff pretty much. And then I was approved again. So that was obviously really great. Um, but yeah, so I've only had to really do it um, twice in my career and Hopefully that's the last time, but we'll see. <laughs> you always have to be prepared for whatever in sports, whether it be uh, conventional or para in general. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to join us yet again on this program. We really love having you on and hope to have you on again down in the future, maybe when there's a medal around your neck. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> that You're welcome and good luck. That was Erin Young, who was joining us from Canada, talking to us about her preparation and classification for Tokyo later on this summer. Coming up next, we're going to check in on a few Canadian press clips related to the Olympic Games and some of the changes. Some athletes have decided, nope, we're not going to be a part of it. We'll discuss all that coming up after the break, and we'll check in on our Twitter polls from last week and the upcoming one this week. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Um, Let's check in on last week's Twitter poll questions. Which sport has the best championship celebration? 90% of you said um, hockey of any kind, pardon me, and 10% of you said basketball, and nobody said baseball now slap on the wrist for the producer that is myself who didn't put on soccer because we got two write-ins that said 
you should have put soccer in there because we would have given that a couple of votes. So we had a couple of write-in votes there on that. Thoughts from you guys on last week's Twitter poll. Josh? Uh, for me, I've always enjoyed the, uh, the the hockey celebrations, particularly the NHL, just where you see the, the captain and then uh, different players getting to hoist the Stanley Cup. Uh, in some instances, depending on uh, how exuberant people are, you sometimes see the cup uh, go for a ride, shall we say, um, with varying results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I find it the most interesting. I think the one that I enjoy the least, which um, it is what it is, is probably football, because it just seems like in football, the owner gets... The, the trophy first and then maybe the coach and then maybe the players after that. I, I like the idea that the, the guys and girls who do the work get to hold the trophy before anybody else. So that's what it is for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know why in any instance that uh, the players wouldn't hoist uh, the trophy first it's yeah, it's interesting, Brock. I was one of those people that that shot you a message like, "Hey, why aren't we uh, talking about soccer here?" Because it was the it was the week of the Euro final, so um, we sh- soccer fans showed us how how they celebrate. And um, when you f- when I first saw this question, I immediately thought of yes, right away when you win uh, when the clock uh, struck strikes zero and the game's over. Like I was thinking about that moment, but I was, it got me thinking about the, the parades and the moments after, uh, after the actual win. And, um, we've seen recently that, uh, some teams go, go all out and they, they have quite some fun. And, uh, Tampa Bay has, uh, some pretty cool parties. They, everyone's hanging out (laughs) on boats and, uh, it's, everyone's in the sunshine, throwing trophies around. I mean, it looks like a good Jet time skis. out there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that yeah, looked a little crazy. I think it's because, and Tampa is a horrible example of this because they've <laughs> done it back to back, but I think it's because teams don't know when the next time is going to come around to them. So we have the Stanley Cup or whatever the trophy is, Let's celebrate. And and I, I truly believe that's the essence of what happens with trophies like this, because, you know, you just don't know when it's going to happen. And it is very hard with all these teams who are professional teams are, are involved. And you've got 30 teams, 32, whatever, vying for the same trophy. Only one person gets it. So I think that's basically why you see more of the celebration, because people just you'd never know when you're going to get it again. Uh, this week's Twitter poll question is, did you catch any of the All-Star festivities? Your choices are simple, yes or no. And go back to our Twitter handles, which were given out at the top of this segment to cast your vote, and we'll give you the results next week. I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about some of the stuff that I came across in the Canadian press clips. And the first one is that a 20-time Grand Slam champion is pulling out of Tokyo. Dave Ferry has more. 
Roger Federer says he won't compete in the Tokyo Olympics after having a setback with his knee. Federer had said before Wimbledon that he would make a decision about going to the Summer Games after the Grand Slam tournament ended. Federer lost in the quarterfinals of the All-England Club last week to Hubert Hurkacz. Also in Olympic tennis, Britain's Johanna Conta won't compete in the Games after testing positive for COVID-19. She was dropped from Wimbledon just over two weeks ago when a member of her team contracted the virus. I'm Dave Ferry. We also know that Vashik Pospisil, Bianca Andrescu, and Serena Williams will not be attending due to COVID-19 concerns. Also, Novak Djokovic on the men's side has similar concerns. Here's what he had to say following Wimbledon. Can't even have my, you know, my my stringer that uh, that is very important part of my team. I can't have a stringer or. I'm limited with the amount of people that I can take in my team as well. Um, so I'll have to think about it right now. As I said, uh, my plan was always to go to Olympic Games. and uh, But right, right now I'm a little bit divided. It's kind of 50-50 because uh, of what uh, I heard in the last couple of days. What do you guys make of all of these athletes, particularly in one sport, um, saying for injury, for concern, for various things. Look, I'm not going. Uh, Claire, start with you and then Josh. Well, like you just touched on, uh, there's so many factors going into this. Uh, Federer, for example, he's he's kind of done this a few times and he kind of has that ability to say no and kind of skip this round, per se. And um, yeah, and then there's there's other things like you don't, don't get to take your entire team and uh, you don't get your support system there. And uh, that doesn't leave you very prepared going in. And um, yeah, there's just so many factors going into it. And it's, it's interesting because it's only happening in individual sports right now. And it's my thought is are team sport athletes feeling a little more pressure um, to really not say anything to, uh, to make sure that nothing happens to the team. Cause uh, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, individual sports. They have the ability to just say, you know what? I, I don't think I want to go. Um, I'm going to sit this one out, but um, I'm wondering what the team sports uh, mentality is around this. Yeah, that's a very good point because I know, especially if we use the U S men's basketball as an example, they've had a couple of COVID-19 exposures or at least players who uh, who have entered the protocols and won't be going to Tokyo but in the case of these players i mean the ones that are injured i certainly understand like this this is an amazing opportunity but if you've had the chance like federer to compete in the past maybe you don't put so much emphasis on this and you use an, a nagging injury as an excuse not to go. Uh, for some of these other players who who might not have been to one of these, I think it's got to be a harder decision. Uh, I mean, Bianca Andrescu, she's certainly still a fairly young person, so I would anticipate that she would hopefully be in her prime when the next Olympics rolls around. And hopefully we don't have any of these same concerns like we have for for these or even for real. But it's it's very interesting to me to listen to Djokovic because 
it feels from his comments a little more selfish. It feels more like, well, I can't bring who I want, so I don't want to go. I mean, let's remember that in April of last year, when all of this coronavirus pandemic started, he tried to put on a tennis tournament and act like nothing was happening. So with no mask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I congratulated him earlier when we talked about his win at Wimbledon and it's well-deserved, but that doesn't necessarily mean I like the guy. And I really think he's a bit tone deaf at times in terms of his, his opinions. I mean, if you, if that's what you want to say and you're going to stand behind them, fine. But it does make you look like a bit of a jerk <laughs> or a lot of a jerk. Let's be honest. Yeah. I think uh, there's two things I want to say. One on Claire's point, Claire, I didn't even think about what you said about team sports feeling as though you're going to let, you know, your team down because if, if you don't have enough people to feel the team, therefore you can't go anyways. So even, you know, if you do have concerns, you're more likely to put your, your, you know, your own concerns beside the, everyone else's because you're sitting there going, well, I don't want to let down my team. And I know it from, from playing in both team and individual sports in, in bocce. And it is a, a tough decision to, to make. And I think the other factor that you're going to see um, coming up soon is when we hear things like, oh, Tokyo leads the cases with like the most in, in you know, parts of the world and, and there's so many and this and that. I mean, that would be of concern to me if I'm, if I'm going to a place that has one of the higher cases in the world at the moment, I'm going, why am I going to this games? Especially, as Josh pointed out, when I've already been to one or two or, or even more than that. I, I'm yeah, curious. That's, your... that, that's, ahead, the key, that's the key right there is that you're, you're, you're talking about people who have been there before. I think it's a lot harder decision when you haven't been because if it's me, for example, my brain goes to, well, what if this is my only chance? Yeah. So it's just, it's got to be so, so hard. But again, I've, I've brought this up on past shows. We had similar concerns, I believe, when we were getting ready for Rio because we had the, the Zika virus and people had to make their determinations and they had to get vaccinated in enough time to go. So I, I think at the end of the day, you weigh your, your consequences and you weigh the fact, in this case, have I been vaccinated? Have I not? And what, uh, what public stance am I going to make? Am I going to say, and no, I'm not going because, uh, because Japan doesn't have their act together? Or am I going to say, no, I'm vaccinated. I'm going to follow the rules and I'll be fine. I, I have to say I have some concerns on something you know Aaron brought up in our in our interview with her and that is that she basically said that she has no concern because she, you know you're going to be in a village you're going to be you know secluded from from the rest of the world and i i'm not trying to put this on wheelchair basketball canada please believe me but from past experience from paralympic games i know 
that coaches hide a lot of not hide they they don't divulge how bad the situation really is i mean i know that when we were in uh mexico we didn't find out about a curfew until we got there and the canadian paralympic committee calls this emergency meeting to the surprise of all of our coaches and they say oh we're gonna have a a curfew because of protesters that are lingering outside the village and you went we went home and we asked our coaches did you guys know about this and they said oh yeah yeah we just didn't want to stress everybody out so for me that's kind of where i go okay you have no concerns you're a veteran i respect that but i have to wonder how much are the coaches not divulging at this point because they want your focus to be at one place and one place only claire i'll let you go first on comment on that well, I think as a high performance athlete, if you've already made that decision uh, that you are going to Tokyo and that uh, you're moving forward with this, uh, I think as a high performance athlete, Erin uh, has already put herself in that mindset of I'm going, uh, I'm going to trust that everything's going to be okay and, uh, and not to be stressed out until something is actually not okay. Um, it's, it's one of the things that, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that doesn't get it, get highlighted enough for high-performance athletes. And it's, and it's the way that they uh, mentally train for upcoming performances. And uh, I hopefully, hopefully everything's going to be okay with those athletes and these, and these games uh, run smoothly and, and everything's okay. And uh, if not, uh, hopefully they have the resources and um, strategy to, to get through it. Yeah, I agree. I think at some point you have to understand that there are things that are beyond your control. And as long as you've thought about, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Can I deal with that? Then you make your decision and you go. Um, I think Aaron being a veteran has probably done that and Certainly with Claire's experience, I think she spoke to that better than I can. But I just, I really believe that as athletes, we we understand that circumstances are out of our control and we just have to deal with them. Uh, and you you block out a lot of what could happen in favor of this is my goal and I know what the consequences are. And I'm okay with that. Yep. Uh, very well said indeed. And, you know, I think at this point, you guys are right. You have to kind of put the blinders on and and just say, I'm doing this. I'm committed. And now I'm committed to the to the goal and, and keeping my eye on the prize, as Aaron mentioned earlier in the interview. Uh, coming mm-hmm. up next, we're going to chat a little bit about changes to the medal ceremonies that are going to be taking place. And also we'll put a wrap on the Euro cup for 2020, which was actually played in 2021, but we'll put a wrap on all that coming up after the break. You're listening to the neutral zone right here on AMI.
You're listening to The Neutral Zone on your Friday, as always, and we've had a great program and we've got a great final segment lined up for you. Let's start here. Um, There's going to be some changes to the upcoming medal ceremony in the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games. Let's take a listen. International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach calling the change to traditional medal ceremonies very significant, saying, quote, the medals will not be given around the neck. They will be presented to the athlete on a tray and then the athlete will take the medal him or herself, end quote. Bach also confirming the ceremonies this year would not include any handshakes or hugs. This comes as Tokyo is still under a state of emergency due to a surge in COVID-19 cases. Inez de la Quatera, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. Okay, here's where I'm going to start with this. I'm going to say that I understand why this has to happen. I get it because of everything that's happened. No no crowd, you know, high numbers, all those sorts of things. But getting your medal around your neck is one of the things that everybody dreams about. And it's going to feel like it's a bit short falling short because of that. Now, again, I'll repeat, I understand why this is being done because of COVID, but it's just going to be one of those things when you win that bronze, silver, or gold medal, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I really like getting my medal around my neck, shaking the hand of the person that's giving it to me because it is my moment. Thoughts on that, Josh, and then Claire. understand completely why it's being done this way. Um, from my own experience at provincial and and national events in track and field, I'll be honest, it doesn't hold the same weight for me because I've had my awards where, where I've received them uh, handed to me, but granted, they were not necessarily medals. They were more uh, ribbons. I get that the pomp and the circumstance will will be missing and the moment is somewhat diminished, but I just think that in an abundance of caution, which we've heard ad nauseum in the last year and a half, you have to do it this way. I don't think there's there's any way around it, unfortunately. And hopefully for some of the younger athletes, they'll have a chance to make it to the next Olympics and Paralympics, which I believe are in Paris, and things will be able to be back to normal and they'll be able to have that experience. I mean, when we look at the games as a whole, uh, the experience is being shortchanged from uh, no spectators being there and now uh, they're changing in the medal ceremony. But yes, it's, it's all because this is... These are the final details that we are glad that they're focusing on um, to make the games safer for everybody there. Uh, the athletes have been training five years now this this cycle, and um, they just want to be able to give those athletes the, uh, the tournaments and the games that they've been training so hard for. And at the end of the day, it's these games are going to look a lot, a whole lot different than any other games. But um they're moving forward. And I I think that's the big picture at the end of the day that uh, they are putting the finer details into making sure that they, they run smoothly and and safe. Yeah. And I think people have said, or 
thought to be said that these are the kind of finer details that are a bit later in the game and and but in my mind you know it's better to be done late than not at all and yes it's going to take away from the circumstance but as we've all said it needs to be done given where we are in today's covid times as we mentioned in the headlines italy won the euro cup over england in penalty kicks but unfortunately investigations need to take place as some racist social media posts have happened let's take a listen to this clip Racial abuse was quickly on display on social media after three black England players missed penalties in their shootout loss. Condemnation of such postings from many quarters here, from the Prime Minister to average citizens to former players like Gary Neville. It's absolutely ridiculous in 2021 we're still talking about this, but we are. England manager Gareth Southgate describes the abuse as unforgivable. London's mayor is calling on social media companies to do more to hold offenders to account. Tom Rivers, ABC News, London. Okay, so let's uh, talk about the latter part of the clip where we're calling on social media companies to do more. Um, What is that more that we can do to prevent this from happening? Josh? For me, I understand what sentiment he's registering here but at the same time the internet isn't necessarily supposed to be policed and that might be a strange thought to hear but there there isn't necessarily supposed to be uh, a a watchdog or a policing of the internet i think it's upon it's incumbent upon people in general that we have to get to a point in this world where any kind of racism, sexism, uh, whether any of that, any of that just can't happen. We as a society and as a human race have to realize that we're all the same under our skin. Like there's, there's no difference. And it's just, it's not acceptable. And until we as a society hold the people in our lives accountable, nothing is going to change. It doesn't matter how many watchdogs you put in place or, or whether you suspend somebody's account for, for what they say unless they change their attitude, it's always going to be there. It's absolutely deplorable and despicable what those three players had to go through. That is probably the biggest moment in their lives. And so they couldn't score the goal. Oh, well, the World Cup is next year. There will be another Euro. There will be more World Cups. There will be other chances for England to win. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So at the foundation of this, we, yeah, we need to be accountable for ourselves and, um, and to become better. And on the social media side, yes, uh, the internet isn't there to be policed. Um, but there are ways and there are, uh, software and programs out there that can filter out, uh, 
phrases and words. And uh, we've seen this with, with COVID. Uh, everyone's social uh, health care providers, social media accounts now can filter out um, accounts and conversations uh, about COVID. And um, why can't they do that for discrimination and, and racism and homophobia on, on social media? So I, I, I think that uh, places like Twitter and Instagram uh, can do a better job. Um, and I think they are making the progress to to make that happen. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, we are responsible for uh, the things that we say and and the the morals that we stand for. And um, I, I talk a lot about this is that uh, it, it does start with us, but it also starts with us speaking up for others in situations like that. And, and it, and it just goes to show, uh, the acts of, of the city, uh, in, in England, uh, covering up the mural, uh, and, and hiding those racial slurs so that, uh, those players can, can heal, uh, because they, they had a great tournament and, and they did not get to, uh, celebrate it in the way that they, they deserve to, because they got met with so much racism and, uh, it's, at the end of the day, we, we really need to start uh, calling people out and, and, and calling people in to, to change and, and just to lead their lives with more, more kindness at their foundation. Absolutely. Let me, let me say this in two different ways. First of all, England put a 19-year-old 19, 19 in as a penalty kicker. Do you understand the amount of pressure it would be at a Euro Cup to put in a penalty kick when the net is like the size of a house and you should put it in the net? But when you don't, it becomes the world falls apart. And that is really, really sad to me. And I'm really disappointed in society today for putting these things out there because, no, we should not have to, as a society, put policing on social media. We should just simply be a better society altogether, all told. And it's as simple as that. England had a good tournament and they need to be able to celebrate because they are a young team and it's that simple. I'd like to thank Claire Buchanan, um, Josh Watson. I'd also like to thank our technical producer is... Matt Agnew and Akil Chin Sang. I'd also like to thank Andy Frank and Paula Deneen. They are our technical producer and our manager at AMI Audio. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.